Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. So, on January uh, 28th, 1986, millions of Americans sat around their TVs just shocked in disbelief. They couldn't believe what they just saw because they just watched the Challenger, Challenger space shuttle explode on live television. Nobody saw it coming. And it, it just blew them away. And, and this was televised so people could see it. Not only was it televised, but NASA had worked with schools so that schools would be able to televise it for children. And so some kids, millions of kids around the country were watching this as it happened. Maybe some of you were in school watching this as it, it happened. I don't know if any of you were, you know, were there, if you remember seeing the Challenger uh, on TV that day. If you do remember, that means you're old. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I couldn't, I, I couldn't resist. Uh, it, the events happened like just after my first birthday, so I don't, I don't really remember personally. <laughs> uh, but I've been told, <laughs> I've been told that if you watched it, it was, it was an event that stayed with you. This was, this was a significant uh, moment in time for the country. And, and does anybody remember why it failed? What happened? What was it on this, this you know, space shuttle that failed? And it was the, the O-rings, right? It was a, a couple of little rubber pieces. They're, they're like, like this. It's like a quarter-inch rubber piece that would go around the circumference. There was two of them. There's a primary O-ring and a secondary, and because they were called, uh, because there were two of them, they were called the redundant O-rings, right? I don't know if anything can sound more superfluous than the redundant O-ring, but this failed, which led to a chain of events that ended in catastrophe, right? A 13.2 billion, billion with a B, 13.2 billion dollar mission derailed because the quarter-inch piece of rubber wasn't able to do the job assigned to it. And as I I think about that event, it it makes me, uh, I'm reminded that when there's a, a complex mechanism or a complex organism, that even the smallest, most seemingly insignificant part of that organism or that mechanism is still indispensable. It's still indispensable to the success of the mission. And we've been in this series uh, for some time now called Supernatural Power for Everyday People. And we're going through the, the book of 1 Corinthians. And this was a letter written by the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, to the church in Corinth. And it was written less than 20 years after Jesus died and rose again. And so it's like pretty soon after these events happened, but local churches were sprouting up in cities all over the Roman Empire. And in Corinth, there was this local church, and it was made up of everyday people from all walks of life. There were rich people, poor people, smart people, simple people. There were influential people. There were people that society overlooked there were freedmen, there were slaves, there were Jews and Greeks and Romans. There was just a wide, category, wide breadth of people, everyday normal people, that were part of this church. And many of them, when they, they first came to the, this church in Corinth, there were either, either they saw it firsthand or they heard stories of God doing supernatural things in, the, in their presence. 
And so they had this expectation that the, the church in Corinth was going to be this supernatural place where God's power would be on display. And, and maybe they had some occurrences and, and experiences themselves or they just heard about it. But over time, the church in Corinth started to look a little less super and a little more just kind of natural. And so some of the people in the church, you would imagine, they, they're seeing that it just kind of looks like a natural place. And they started to think, well, maybe this isn't what I thought it was. And maybe they just kind of started to wander from the church for other people in the church, they saw that, you know, this is kind of just a natural place, nothing supernatural about it, and maybe that's what church is. It's just a nice place to be a part of, and I like it, and I'll be here, but I'm going to not expect God to do anything supernatural in our midst. And there were, there were some other people who said, oh, no, I know God does supernatural stuff through those people, right, through the special people, the holy people, the, you know, priests or pastors or missionaries or whatever. God does supernatural stuff through them, but he's not going to, you know, I'm not going to expect him to do anything supernatural in my life as an everyday person. And it's easy for us to feel this way in the, the 21st century to kind of feel like, you know, the church is, it's a great place. You know, I like it. It's a, you know, a nice place to be. It's a nice place to bring your families, but I'm not expecting anything supernatural to happen in this place. Maybe some of you, you know, were part of a church and you, you left for a while because you felt like the church is just kind of a natural place and there's nothing super about it at all. Or, or maybe, like the, the Corinthians, you feel like, oh, God is going to show up supernaturally in those people, but, but not my life. And this is where Paul comes in in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to actually pick up right where Justin left off last week in verse 7. Paul comes in to say, oh, no, 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 no. God wants to do something through each of you. Look what he says here. He says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Who is it given to? To the, the holy people, the special people, the pastors? No, no, no. To each, to every person in their midst, God is going to bring, and he calls it manifestations of the Spirit, which sounds super like mystical manifestations of the spirit. Uh, he doesn't mean anything like weird or mystical about it. What he, he means is that God, God is going to move powerfully in each of you. That the spirit of God wants to display the supernatural power of God, not through a select few, but to each and every one of us. And Paul tells this to the Corinthians, but the Corinthians were missing this. And part of the reason that they were missing it is because they, they kind of had a, a, a limited view of what God's supernatural power would look like in their midst. They saw certain examples. They heard about certain examples. And they thought, oh, God is moving there, but I don't see him moving in my life that way. So maybe God's not going to do anything supernatural in my life. So they, they kind of limited it into these boxes. And, and Paul says, sure. Yeah, some people, you know, he says, some people, to one, there's going to be this the spiritual natural power to have wisdom and another a message of knowledge and by the same spirit, but to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing to, uh, by that one spirit and to another and to another and to another and goes on and he lists off all of these examples of what it might look like for the spirit of God to be displayed in a person's life. And, and he says, all of these, all of these are work of the, one in the same spirit. So he's saying it's not, it's not like any one of these is how the Spirit of God shows up powerfully in people's lives. He's saying it could be any of these. And equally so, as he lists these examples off, he's not saying that God is going to show up in specifically these examples, right? There's a, these examples. Sometimes we call them spiritual gifts. And he lists off some examples of spiritual gifts. And 
And we can sometimes assume like, oh, that's a comprehensive list. That's all the ways that God is going to show up in people's lives. But it's not. And we know that because there's other times where Paul gives lists of spiritual gifts and he lists off other things that aren't on this list. And sometimes he doesn't list things off. He just throws out an example. And sometimes these spiritual gifts are abilities. Like people have lifelong capabilities that God has given them to just do something awesome. And other times they're not lifelong abilities. It's an ability that they have like just for a particular moment in time and God shows up. Like uh, a word from the Lord that, that comes to them at a specific time. And it's kind of like an isolated occurrence. Sometimes these spiritual gifts, they they aren't really abilities at all. They're more circumstances. In fact, earlier in this letter, Paul says that singleness is a gift. Singleness is not like a talent or a trait. Singleness is a, a circumstance in life. And he says that that can actually be a spiritual gift. So sometimes the spiritual gifts, they aren't abilities at all. They're actually circumstances. And sometimes they're things that seem very ordinary. Later in this chapter, he's going to give like another list of spiritual gifts, and he repeats some of them, and he adds some new ones. And one of the things on his other list of spiritual gifts is being helpful. Like, that's it. Being helpful is a spiritual gift. It doesn't sound very supernatural. It sounds kind of ordinary and boring. But what makes the supernatural gift supernatural, Paul says, it's not the gift itself. It's not something that you look at and you're like, oh, that's a gift from God. It's what that gift is able to accomplish. See, look what he says. He says, all of these are work of one and the same spirit. The spirit, he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So the spirit says, all right, I made up my mind. I'm determined to distribute this gift to this person because the spirit of God is going to work through that. And so it can be something as simple and as menial as being helpful. Being helpful can be a spiritual gift because the Holy Spirit is the one who says, I'm going to make this person really helpful, and I am going to work through that helpfulness. The Spirit of God working through it is what makes it a supernatural gift. It makes me think of uh, our, our redundant O-rings, right? This is, this is not special. Full disclosure, this is not from a rocket. Uh, this is actually uh, just a, a black piece of tube. And uh, do you know what, anybody know what this came from? It was like the, yeah, this actually comes from one of our vacuum cleaners. Uh, so here is this quarter-inch round piece of plastic, and it looks a lot like the quarter-inch round piece of rubber that was used on a space shuttle. It's very similar material, same size and dimensions. Obviously, the one on a space shuttle is a little bit longer, but same, same material, right? And in the hands of one, in the hands of one, a you know, rocket scientist, it's used on a space shuttle, and it's literally out of this world. In the hands of another, right, a vacuum cleaner repairman, it's used on a vacuum cleaner, and it just kind of sucks, right? Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I have, a new, I have a new baby at home. Uh, and the dad jokes, they're just flowing right now. Uh, but but it's kind of the, the point is that it, it's not about the gift itself. It's not about the, the material or the substance. It might look kind of plain and ordinary to the human eye, but you put that plain, ordinary substance into the right hands and you put it into the right mechanism, the right complex, and wow, what it can accomplish. 
That's what Paul is trying to say here. It's actually the work of the Spirit through it. And so maybe your gift isn't going to be that you're going to miraculously heal people. Maybe you're going to be helpful, but the Spirit's going to work through that, and he's going to infuse that with power and do something. But, all right, it's not just about him working through it. It's about this little little piece of the puzzle fitting into the right complex. And so he tells us what that, that complex is. That complex, in this case, not a mechanism, but an organism. And he says it's the church. And he goes on and he says, uh, no, so Paul didn't have space shuttles in his day, so he doesn't use the space shuttle analogy. He uses the body analogy. He says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with, and he's talking about the church here the local church. And for Paul, when he's talking about the church and he's thinking about the church, he's not thinking about like the institutional church that didn't exist yet. He's not talking about church buildings. Those didn't exist yet. He's talking about a local assembly of followers of Jesus, followers of Jesus coming together in a particular locale. And he's saying that they're the body. And, and I love this because he's, he's talking about the church and we know this. He says it explicitly later. He's talking about the church. So you'd expect him to say, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with the church, right? That's what you would expect him to say. But what does he say? No, he says, so it is with Christ. I love this, because Paul, he's not saying that the church is like the body of Christ. He's saying the church is the body of Christ. That we we are the body of Christ. And I I don't mean that in the sense, just throw my clicker there. I don't mean that in the sense that like Jesus' physical body is somehow mystically transferred to our bodies or something like that. That's not what he's talking about. But what he is saying, in the same way that Jesus' power and presence was manifest through him physically when he walked among the earth, Jesus' power and presence is being manifest physically through the body of Christ, the church. And Paul is very confident of this, and he's very passionate about this, because you might know, this is how Paul was introduced to both Jesus and the church. If, if you're familiar with Paul's story, he, he used to go by the name Saul, and Saul hated Christians, hated the church, thought it was the worst. It was literally his job to squash the whole Jesus movement. And he would go from city to city, persecuting Christians, imprisoning them, sometimes even having them stoned to death, trying to squash this whole Jesus movement. And one day he was heading to a city to do just that, to persecute the church in Damascus. And along the way, Jesus shows up to him. The risen Jesus shows up to Paul. And the very first words out of Jesus' mouth to Saul is, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute my church? At least this is what I would expect, because this is what Paul was doing. He was persecuting the church, right? He was going around and he was persecuting the church. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Because Jesus so identifies with his local church that for Paul to persecute the church, Jesus felt like he was being persecuted himself personally, physically. Because the church is not like the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We're the complex organism that God, the Holy Spirit is piecing all of these parts together to do something supernatural through. And who's a part of this body? Paul continues on. He says, we were all, we were all baptized by one spirit 
so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we're all given the same spirit to drink. And at first glance, you notice like baptized and drinking, you might think the Lord's Supper and uh, out of context, it might seem like that. But even just a couple chapters ago, Paul talked about how baptism and the Lord's Supper, those are symbols. But what he's talking about now is what those symbols are pointing to, the spiritual reality, this baptism of the, the spirit, this drinking in of the spirit. And, I, and this, is so, this is so key. So 21st century, you hear the word baptized, and you immediately probably just think baptism in a church context. But remember, 2,000 years ago, this was all brand new. But baptism wasn't. That term baptism wasn't brand new. It just meant ceremonial <laughs> cleansing. So they're hearing this, and they're hearing that, that there's this cleansing work that's being done by the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can come inside of us. Paul's saying, if, if you have the Spirit in you, you are a member of this body. And you might think like, well, why should I have the Holy Spirit in me? And you're thinking like, judging on my past or my present or whatever, I don't know if I'm really qualified to be a, a vessel of the Holy Spirit. And, and this idea of like cleansing, this, this comes from temple language. Any of the articles in the temple any of the articles in the temple, they need to be cleansed first. You couldn't just take a plate out of your house and bring it into the temple. That would be sacrilegious because the presence of God was there. There needed to be a cleansing that took place first. And so you might think, all right, maybe if I can clean myself up, then I could drink of the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, be a vessel of the Spirit once I'm clean. But who does the cleaning? The Spirit, right? We're baptized by the Spirit. So this is the beauty of the gospel, that Jesus went to the cross took your sin to the cross so that he could pour out his Holy Spirit on you and, and have you be cleansed by his Spirit. He's the one who cleanses us to declare us holy so that he can then fill us with his Spirit as members of the body of Christ. See, Jesus didn't just go to the cross and cleanse you so you get to go to heaven when you die. He cleansed you so that his Spirit can dwell in you now that you get to be the part of the body of Christ. And even though we're part of one body, he says, it's one body. Even so, it's not made up of one part. It's made up of many parts. This is great. Because you being part of this body doesn't mean that you cease to exist as like you, as uniquely you, as your individual self. You are part of a body, but there's many parts. There's a diversity of parts. It's not like Jesus welcomed you into his army and just made you, uh, you know, one of the clones in his army, right? Like, that's, that, that's dark side tactics. That's not how Jesus works. No, no. Jesus knows that you are uniquely you because he made you that way. And bringing you in as part of the body of Christ isn't to erase your individuality, but to let what's unique about you shine in this place. One body, many parts. Paul goes on to show how the, the implications of this reality that we're the body of Christ and we have these different parts and the spirit is working inside of, the implications of that, how it challenges a couple of misconceptions that the Corinthian church had. And we're going to look at one of these misconceptions today. We're going to look at the other one next week. But this first misconception that the church had was this idea that the church doesn't need me. So people in Corinth, looking around, they see, all right, that guy, the church needs. That woman, the church needs. They don't need me. 
I mean, like, I'm glad to be here, but, like, I'm not necessary to the church. And I think it's easy for us, even in the 21st century, to have this, this misconception that I'm not necessary to the local church, that I'm superfluous. And we can get there for a lot of reasons. Maybe, like the Corinthians, you just feel like your gifting, whatever that is, doesn't really fit with what the church is. And this limited view of your, your gifting, you might feel like, I don't I don't see me really being indispensable to the complex of the body of Christ. Or, or maybe there's this, this limited view of what God is going to accomplish through the church. Like you think church and you think what's going on right now, like Sunday morning. And you're like, I'm not going to sing in the band. I'm not going to preach. I don't think I'm equipped to teach the kids and kids class. Like, and you think like, well, that's the mission of the church and I'm not equipped for that. But but maybe God's mission for the church is broader than that. Or maybe, and I, I definitely have struggled with this one, maybe you get there because of this, this sense of God's sovereignty, where you say, well, God is all-powerful. God doesn't need anyone. God doesn't need me. And while there's truth to that, we assume that just because God could create a church that doesn't need you, that God did create a church that doesn't need you. But what if he didn't? What if God, in his sovereignty, created a church that specifically needs you? Or, and I think this might be the, the most common, perhaps you don't even think of church as a place to do anything. That You have the mindset that church is just a place where I go. Like, all I do is I attend and I, I participate. And we're so glad that you do. But Paul is saying, oh, no, no, no. God has placed you here to do something. And, and he challenges this misconception among the Corinthians. This is how he, what he says. He says, now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it wouldn't for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it wouldn't for that reason stop being part of the body. He's saying whatever part you are in the body, just because you say, like, oh, I'm not that, doesn't make you any less a part of the body or any less essential, all right? Just for the record, in Paul's analogy, there are no wisdom teeth or appendixes, uh, all right? Every, every one of these body parts is essential. And he goes on to say, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? This is great because there's, there's something realistic about this because he's not just saying that you are needed for the body to survive. I think that would be an overstatement, right? Beacon Church probably won't die if you get cut off. In the same way, like, you know, you cut your foot off, you probably won't die, right? Or, or you know, if you are here and you're not doing your part, Beacon probably won't die off, right? You just you limp a little bit. You know what it is when you sit. So this is probably going to happen to at least one of you after the service. You sit for a long time. You get up. You don't even realize your foot's asleep. Uh, and then you kind of do that awkward thing where you kind of trip over yourself. If your foot's asleep, you're not going to die. You'll survive. But you're going to limp around a little bit. Right? And so what he's saying is, yeah, all these different parts, sure, maybe you're not essential to the survival of the church, but you are essential to the church thriving. You're essential to the church doing specifically what God wants to do through that local church. Essential to that. Because, he says in another place in Ephesians, he says, from God, from, or from Jesus, he says, from Jesus, the whole body, 
right? Again, this body language, the whole body joined together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work, right? This is the, the mindset that the early church had. Like when the church was born, this is how it was understood that each part would do its work. And he doesn't say that if each part doesn't, the church is going to die. But there's something God wants to do through our midst that he, he will not do without you doing your part, whatever that is, whatever the Spirit is gifting you to do in that moment. And the reason Paul is so, so confident that God isn't going to accomplish what he wants through the church without you is because he believes that God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, he goes on to say. God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. The reason Paul is certain that every member of the body is essential is because he knows God placed every member of that body there. Like you're here and it's not on accident. I'm super excited. Uh, two weeks from today, we're having a guest preacher. His name's James Kim, uh, going to be coming to speak. And uh, James and his family just recently moved out to Long Island and started getting connected to the church. And James' brother and sister-in-law and their family have, have been coming for a little while. And I was talking to uh, his sister-in-law, Esther. Some of you might know Esther Kim. Talking to her earlier this week at VBS. And I mentioned that James was going to preach. He's like, no way. She thought I was joking. She's like, no, no way. Because, like, James hasn't been coming for a very long time. It seemed like it was very quick. And she's like, how did it move so quickly? And I said, no, no, no. See, from your perspective, these things move very, very quickly. But what you don't understand is I spent the last year or so looking for James. Like, I was looking for somebody with James' unique gifting to come and preach. And I even set the date, not knowing who was going to fill it. Until James said yes. See, for, from their perspective, it all moved very fast. But no, 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 God placed him at just the right time. And you might think, like, oh, yeah, of course, he's a preacher. Like that. But no, that's just, that's just an example. God placed you here in this place for a reason. Now, a little bit of a disclaimer. It is VBS Sunday. I recognize that we have some guests here today, and some of you have local churches, and it's not Beacon, and I want to affirm that, all right? And so my hope for you is that you go back to your local church with this, this mindset, all right, wait a second, I'm essential to that place. I, maybe I don't know how, but I'm going to find out how I'm essential to what God wants to do uniquely through that local church. And maybe some of you, you're not connected to a local church, and you're here, and you're like, I just heard there were bounce houses uh, and my kids are really pumped about it, and we're so glad that you're here, and maybe you're not even sure if there's anything supernatural about the church, and, and still, we're so glad that you're here, and we want you to know this is, a, this is a safe place for you to explore those things. We don't expect anyone here to agree with us. This is a safe place to just figure things out, and we, we hope that you do, and maybe you're saying even, you know, I do want to figure it out, but I'm not sure Beacon's the right fit. Even that's okay. We know lots of great churches in there, and we're happy to connect you with a local church because the, the purpose isn't like you being here. The purpose is that God has created you, and he's looking to place you in a local church to do something that only you can do. And if Beacon is your home, God placed you here. You didn't find your way here. God placed you here because there's something God wants to do through you as part of this body that he's not going to do without you. And if, that, if that's you, you might be asking, all right, 
what's my gift, what's my place? Right? Inevitably, this is where we start to get to. Like, all right, what's my gift, what's my place? And those are good questions, but they're not essential questions. It might seem like, oh, I need to figure out what my gifting is and what my place is before I can get involved. And there's like tools to help, like assessments you can take and nothing wrong with those. Those can be helpful. But remember, gifts, sometimes they are lifelong abilities. Sometimes they're things that come upon us in a moment. Sometimes they're circumstances. God can use really anything he wants, even, you know, things seemingly as seemingly insignificant as a redundant O-ring, all right? And so the important thing isn't necessarily figuring out, all right, what's my gift, what's my place? The important thing is to serve and to serve humbly. Find a place to serve. Just, just engage with the body in some way. The verse that we started off today with was, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So if you, you want to find out where to where to serve, where to start. Just find a place where you get to serve the common good. Find a need in the midst and just jump in there. And maybe it's going to be a great fit. Maybe it's not. That's where the humility come in, comes in. Serve humbly. Because maybe, you know, be open to feedback. And maybe people are like, this is not the place for you to serve. Uh, or you, you need to be humble because sometimes you're going to serve in a place that you don't want to serve. And people are going to be like, wow, you're gifted here. <laughs> and you're going to end up finding out that you have a gift to serve in a place that maybe you, you weren't super excited about. Like, let me tell you, I was not, I was not like super thrilled about being a pastor at the start. I love it now, but like originally I had some doubts. Uh, and, and over time, God has used me and I got to see his power work through me. I love what I get to do now, but like at first I was just like, I don't know if that's the best place. Maybe you're going to go into a place you're not super excited about, but he's gifting you for it and you're going to grow to love it. Also serve humbly means that maybe you're going to recognize a need and you're going to have a very, very, very defined vision for how to meet that need. And other people are not going to have that same vision and that's okay. You can kind of step back and you just humbly just serve the body for the common good. And along the way, the spirit of God is going to place you. Remember, he's the one who determines and distributes and places, all right? You don't need to figure all of that out, but it's a lot easier to steer a moving ship. And you will be surprised at what God can use. If you, if you don't limit it to like, oh, it needs to be this or this or this, you, you will be surprised. Like our jackrabbit, right? Uh, God shows up in surprising ways. Uh, that God is awesome. He shows up in these surprising ways, and he can use anything in a supernatural capacity. It's amazing. It makes me think of Betsy. So Betsy was a, uh, a Dutch Christian and uh, during World War II, she was born with a, a special kind of anemia that left her pretty frail her whole life. She couldn't have children. And so she decided not even to marry. And she just lived, even as an adult, and worked in her father's household. And when the Nazis came to uh, and occupied the Netherlands, her father, who was a devout Christian, decided to start hiding Jews in their home. And Betsy and her, her younger sister, Corey, did everything they could to just help her father out. And they were hiding all these Jews, saved countless lives along the way. But over time, they were found out. And they were arrested, and they were brought to a concentration camp. And Betsy and her, her sister, Corey, get there, and, you know, they're in this barracks that's just awful. And Corey, uh, the younger sister, she recounts the story, and she says that when she got there, she just lost it. She lost all hope, and 
her, her big sister, Betsy, said, no, no, I know what to do in this moment. We're told to give thanks to God in any and every situation, so let's just start giving thanks to God for things we can be thankful for. They thanked God that they got to be together, that they weren't separated. They thanked God that they had at least some amenities and, uh, you know, trying to be thankful for whatever. And as they're doing this, they're getting bitten by the fleas in their barracks. And, and Betsy says, God, thank you for the fleas. And Corey's like, no, 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 too far. <laughs> I can't be thankful for the fleas. And Betsy's like, hey, he said give thanks in any and every situation, not just the good ones. Corey wasn't having it, but as time went on, because of her anemia, Betsy was too weak to go and like do work in the, the camp, so they had her stay in the barracks with the other weaklings and knit socks. And along the way, she would start to just minister to some of the other ladies and read the Bible to them and encourage them, and she would do so secretly at first because she knew that if she got caught by one of the guards, there would be hell to pay. Uh, but over time, she noticed the guards weren't coming in, so she got more and more bold to the point where Betsy was holding like church services, worship services in their barracks in the concentration camp, encouraging women, probably actually giving them the sustenance to stay alive till that camp was closed at the end of the war. Others came to know Jesus. Their lives were changed for eternity. And along the way, they never knew why the guards wouldn't come in until one day there was, there was uh, an altercation, there was an interaction. They called one of the guards in. The guard's like, I'm not going in there. We need somebody in. And, and the guards are like, no, no, no. None of the other guards were willing to go into the barracks. And they're like, what? We need somebody to come in. They're like, we're not going in there. And you know why I know they wouldn't go in? The fleas. <laughs> the fleas. They said the place is crawling with them. We're not going in there with those fleas. And Betsy just lit up. Because those fleas, which she knew to give thanks to God to for, uh, from the beginning, she knew even the fleas and even the anemia her made her too weak to have children, too weak to work in the camp. These fleas and this weakness God used supernaturally to save lives for eternity. And Betsy praised God from the beginning because she knew there is absolutely nothing that an all-powerful God can't use in supernatural ways if we're willing to be available. So my encouragement to you is make yourself available to him and watch, watch what he's going to do through you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible privilege to be part of your body. And we know it's, it's nothing that we've done that uh, accounts for why we deserve this. But it's because of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. And so we, we praise you for this opportunity to be here and to be together. But even more so, God, I, I thank you for the opportunity to be your body out in the world to be used by you to, to usher in the kingdom of God in people's lives. And I, I pray for each of us that we would find the, the strength and the discipline to make ourselves available, to serve in this body, knowing that you've placed us here and you've filled us with your spirit and you're, you're gifting us to do something that you will not do through another. And through it all, I pray that you will be praised and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. 
If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.